Good to be with you today. Good to have so many guests here. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, Journey to Sunrise. Um, it's following the life of Christ to his cross and his resurrection. Um, now this church and university have put this on for 20 some years, I believe. And I've always heard about it and this Easter I'll get to see it. But nothing more important than the life of Christ and what it means to us. This sermon is entitled, Nick at Night, because I have a twisted mind. Let's pray. Our Father God, your will be done. I want to lift Jesus high, and at 6, 7, whatever I weigh, not strong enough. May your Holy Spirit do the lifting. May we hear what he says, not only to Nick, but to us. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. I'd like to start in John chapter 19 to give us some hope because when I see Nick in chapter 19, I realize that by the end of Christ's life, Nick has made an important decision. So we'll start there, John chapter 19, just two verses to begin with, verse 39 and 40. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen. When I read this, it makes me think of how Jesus entered the world, how he leaves it with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Years ago, I was in a mall. Um, I tried to make my travels to malls years in between. I, I'm sorry for all those who love to shop. I don't have the mall gene. In fact, it's uh, completely missing, and it's one of my flaws. Um, I never liked it since I was a kid. Mom made me go. As an adult, my wife occasionally could make me go. And uh, now I just praise the Lord for Amazon and it's all over. So anyway, uh, years ago I was in a mall and I would, for a while I had to go to this mall because it was, and I would see poster boards like this and there were always like a group of people standing in front of them looking at this stuff like it was art. And I thought, what kind of twisted adults would stand and just stare at this stuff? I mean, don't they have something better to do? Now, I couldn't stand the mall, and at this stage of mall life, um, they were starting to try and take surveys all the time. And if there's only th anything worse than a mall, it was a mall with surveyors. And so um, my long legs, and back then I, I, I was uh, athletic, I would move quickly. I'd keep my eyes out for any clipboards, and I would, I, it was always blurry to me because not only does it look blurry, but I was going by these things really fast. I, I couldn't understand how people would just, I mean, they were staring. It's like, like get a magnifying glass out type of looks in their eyes. It looked like poster board to me with covered in meaningless color. In fact, not only did it seem meaningless to me, they were blurred because of how fast I moved. 
Always people standing in front of them like they were seeing something. I, I was curious, but not curious enough to stop. I figured out there must be something more to this picture that I don't see, but I didn't care enough to. And, and so one Sabbath, um, some members invited us to their house, and when my wife and I and our little kids walked in, I saw a poster board, and I thought, oh no. Not even my own members. They are part of some twisted cult of colorful poster boards. And, and then they had us eat, and we're at a little dinette in the kitchen was close by and they had a calendar. Not only poster boards, but calendars. And it was February and it wasn't quite this one, but a lot like it. And I thought, well, at least I can tell something about this picture. It's red roses with squiggly stuff in between. I didn't want to say anything because I was trying to be a Christian. But I, I finally, I, you know, after about time for dessert, I said, okay, I can't take it anymore. Why are you buying this kind of stuff? Okay, yeah, we were close enough. I could just, you know, try to find out what's going on. They said, you don't see it? I said, yes, I see it. Why are you buying it? And they're like, no, you don't see it. I said, yes, I see it. And at least this one has roses, at least compared to the other things I've seen. They're just color and whatever. And you've, you don't see it. I said, no, well, I guess I, I don't know how many, I haven't counted the roses yet, but yeah, I see it. He said, look closer. People that could see this stuff, they almost mock you with their talent. So I looked closer. They said, try to stare right through it. I tried staring right through it. I don't have superpowers, I would have combusted. You see it yet? I, I said, I see especially the middle rows. They said, no. Um, don't completely cross your eyes, but try like you're starting to cross your eyes. You go through this sickness. Don't quite cross, but try as you're starting to cross your eyes before you cross it and stare. So you, you get it? I, I'm getting a headache, but I, I don't get and, and my wife chimes in, you don't see it. Said, no. And, and in this one, there's, uh, for those of you twisted and capable, and you see there's a three-dimensional heart in that thing. And, and finally, God in his mercy allowed me, accidentally, as I was uncrossing my eyes, to suddenly see a three-dimensional heart. And for a brief moment, not only in that picture, a three-dimensional heart, but it had the word love on it. Now, this was because it was the month of February, and this couple were lovey-dovey. But I saw it. And, and suddenly I understood what people were looking at. Um, the first one you saw had tropical fish and clear ocean waters. This a heart. I finally saw it. And I finally learned it wasn't just a bunch of random hearts, but it, it was something more. And, and it had the word love written right across it. Not only a heart, but a three-dimensional heart with the word love. I missed it. Well, today's passage of Scripture are a lot like these posters. There's more to it than many people ever see. It's not just a picture of the Rose of Sharon and what he says. It's a picture of a heart. And not just any heart, but the heart of God. 
It's a picture of a multi-dimensional heart. I, I bet even more than three dimensions, dimensions we can't even see. And it is the heart of God. And if you look closely, you'll find the word love etched right across it. Sometimes when we study the Bible, we don't really study it. Sometimes we know we really should have a devotional, so we hurry in and hurry out, and we miss a lot that's there. Sometimes we hurry into passages of the Bible and hurry out because we don't want to take any surveys, and God might give us one. So we run in and out, and we get something, but not always what we need. Well, today, I want you to slow down with me and take a look at a passage that I've been wrestling with. If you do, I think you'll see more maybe than you've seen before. I, I can't promise you that there will be no surveys because Jesus is there and, and he's asking questions and giving answers that raise more questions. But I can tell you that it is worth looking because if you look carefully, you and I will see the heart of God. And we will find that the word love is etched right across it. So today, come with me to John chapter 3. To begin with, we'll notice the first five verses. John 3, verse 1 through 5, to begin with. This is what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In this passage, Nicodemus is playing hide and seek with Jesus. He's playing hide-and-seek, but he doesn't seem to know that he's playing Jeopardy as well. I don't know if it's still on, but for years there was a TV game show called Jeopardy. It was one that I kind of liked because you actually had to have some wisdom and not just luck. I mean, there were categories and, and there were answers and you had to put the right questions to them. And, and I think because it was that twisted of, you know, uh, the answer is, and then you had to give the answer, your answer, in a question form that it kind of made me feel like I was in jeopardy with Nick and Jesus. The category is heaven for 200. Jesus says, the answer is, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And I imagine Nick pressing the button and he says, what is how can a man be born when he is old? Onk. Sorry, Nick. Wrong answer. Not Alex Trevec here, who was so cool, calm, classy. Wrong question. 
The correct question, Nick, is what does Nick need to be? Let's try again. Heaven for 400. Oh, it's the daily double. Jesus says the answer is, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he won't see the kingdom of God. Twice, this must be important. Yes, Nick. What is, can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Onk. Well, Nick, that's a clever question, but it's incorrect. And there is Nick at night playing Jeopardy with Jesus. And it is a good thing for Nick that the game wasn't over yet, because if it had ended that night, he would have been a loser. And we all know what the consolation prize for losing heaven is, don't we? It'd been a long and difficult day for Jesus. If you read John chapter 2, you'll know why. Been a long day for Jesus. He must have been tired because earlier that day, he had cleaned up an entire temple, spring cleaning. That day, he had given scribes and Pharisees a whipping that they wouldn't soon forget. That day, he whipped the sanctuary stock exchange into shape. Earlier that day, he turned tables over and pulled out a whip. That day, he'd gone for worship at the temple and found a petting zoo and a lot of greed. He'd gone to church to find peace, and all he found was a pig pen and a fight. He went for fellowship, and he found a flea market. But instead, he has to turn over some tables at his own temple. It was Passover, and his people were missing the real meaning. In their hurry to make a buck or fill, fulfill some religious obligation, some requirement. You see, somewhere along the way for God's people, religion had merely become some ritual and church just a form and a bulletin to work through. I mean, that day, Jesus saw people in his temple just trying to meet their obligations more than they were trying to meet God. It had been a long day for Jesus. He must have been tired. That day, he'd taken tables down, whipped the place into shape, mopped up a mob, and they all ran before him, hmm. except those people that usually were left out. He prophesied of his coming death, I will destroy this temple and build it in three days. In that day, he listened to all the wrong responses. Seems like his entire nation was playing Jeopardy with him. It took us 46 years to build this place. You think you can destroy it and build it again in three days? Onk, wrong question. The real question is, will we kill our own Messiah? They just didn't understand. They looked at the temple and saw a place. But it wasn't about a place. It was about a person. And he had come to meet with them. And they didn't want to meet him. Look closer. Do you see it? There's more to this picture than meets the eye. It's been a long day. Jesus has been in the temple. It's Passover. And the Passover lamb attends the temple only to find men and women acting like animals, going through the motions, missing all the meaning. 
You see, they like the comfort of the status quo more than the challenge of Jesus Christ. They would rather make money than make things right. They would rather have things their way than God have them His. They don't mind reading God's Word. They just don't want God telling them what to do. You see the picture yet? The big picture. Is it coming clearer? Jesus has been in the temple. You see Him. His heart is there. Look closer. Look at the people. Their heart is missing. It's been a long day. Finally, night has come. Night has come. And so has Nick. He waited for the night. He can't be seen with Jesus. Can you relate? I grew up in our schools. I remember loving Jesus openly as a child. I remember moving from place to place and in the teen years, I wanted to keep Jesus close enough, but a little distance. How strange is it? Schools dedicated to Jesus where it can be unpopular to be His disciple. But that only happened in my day. Look at Nick. He's waited for nightfall. He knows what Jesus has done and what He said. He wants a closer look. But he doesn't want anybody to see him. You catch his name? Nicodemus means victory and conqueror of the people. He's a ruler. He's a teacher. But he knows he's missing something. He, he wants to hear what Jesus is saying, but he's, he's not sure that he really understands him. So he has come to get closer. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the ultimate ruling body of the children of Israel. He's a ruler. He's a teacher. He's a leader of the people. Look closer. He comes from a wealthy family. A lot of rich people on the Sanhedrin. He's been to all the religious schools. He goes to the synagogue every Sabbath. He returns tithe and offerings. He obeys the rules. Listen to him. Nick is very polite. Why? Miss Manners would be proud. His speech is impressive. When he meets Jesus there in the dark alone, he's given Jesus compliment after compliment. But Jesus doesn't care about his compliments. Jesus wants more than Nick's compliments. Jesus wants his heart. Nick comes at night because he knows that his friends, a lot of them, they hate this man and they want him dead. And Nick has been popular all his life. And if he is seen with his Jesus, he won't be popular amongst his friends. Why, in school, he'd been president of the class, voted most likely to succeed. I mean, he was smart, quick mind, smooth tongue. But Jesus isn't looking at Nick's clothes or his degrees. And he is not reading Nick's resume. He's reading Nick's heart. Oh, and here's the thing that's so scary sometimes. 
He's reading ours, too. Why, he's so big, he can read all our hearts all at the same time. Jesus is reading his heart. Do you see it yet? Nick has come to get a better look, to talk theology, church politics. He shows respect. Rabbi, well, Nick was a teacher. Who knows if he was a rabbi? Jesus, didaskalos, teacher, title of respect. Not good enough. Jesus deserves more than respect. He deserves reverence. Look close at verse 2. You'll hear Nick call Jesus rabbi, teacher, come from God, but he doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't call him Messiah. Nick's polite. We know you're a teacher come from God, but nowhere in this encounter will you hear Nick say, we know that you are God, come to teach. No, you see it yet. Nick wants to discuss the Sabbath school lesson, but he's not sure he wants to live it. He's willing to give his tithes and his offerings, but he doesn't want to really sacrifice what matters to him. Nick comes at night, and he comes with his mind asking questions, but it's God's answers that are troubling him. He comes trying to better understand this Jesus, but what troubles him most is how well this Jesus understands him. It's been a long day. Why, Jesus is tired of all the games his kids play. My, how fortunate he is to have us now. No more games, huh? Games like hide-and-seek or Jeopardy. He listens to Nick's patronizing comments. He listens as they fall from his lips, but he answers the question of Nick's heart. He answers Nick's need. Nicodemus isn't even through with his introduction, and Jesus goes for the conclusion. <laughs> he hasn't begun hardly to get up what he wants off his chest, and Jesus goes right for his heart. He looks at Nick and says, you need to be born again. All right, you need to know what that means. No, sugarcoat it. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you're lost. You need to be born again. Is the picture getting clearer? Snapshot of a Sanhedrin scribe. Lesson for church-going Christians. Jesus says, no one, that's a lot of people, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he or she is born of water and the Spirit. Now look who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to some wild guy. This guy's a Pharisee, not a party animal. He's well-behaved. He's law-abiding. He is responsible. Seems like he's kind. He's moral. He's Sabbath-keeping. He returns his tithes and offerings. He's synagogue-going. He's a Pharisee, so he understands the resurrection. I mean, he's got all kinds of doctrines together. He's probably on the church board. And what does Jesus say? You're lost. You need to be born again. Is it possible? 
to do all that stuff and be lost. Nick was gracious, respectful, and polite. And what does Jesus say? You're lost. What does he say? Let me save you. Lost. That's hard for Nick to take. I mean, all his life, he's depended on his behavior, his degrees, his obedience, his good name, his being a son of Abraham. And in one little verse, Jesus turns his table over too. So Nick tries hard not to hear, ever do that with God. He tries hard not to see. How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he can't enter his mother's womb a second time, and my mom has got to hope this guy's right. And Nick thinks he's lightened the conversation. But Jesus is relentless to save. And he says it again. You must be born again. And Nick knows that it's true. It's what he needs to be born again. You see the picture, look closer. The answer is right in front of you. The deliverer Jesus is talking about how to be delivered and he uses the most basic illustration of deliverance and new life that he can, childbirth. It may sound simple, but it's not shallow. The only thing that will make it shallow or flat is by rushing by, so don't. Look closer, concentrate. There are depths here that none of us have ever plumbed or ever will fully plumb in eternity with perfect minds. You see, I've been to a couple of births. I always thought as I was at those births, I wish I had been born in an earlier day and age when they paced outside somewhere smoking cigars or not vegilinks or something, not to have to actually be there. But I was part of the generation that had to be there. I've been to some deliveries. I'm no expert, but I've observed a few things. First, life is costly. And the question comes, who does it cost? The baby? The dad? Moms will tell you no. It costs the person delivering. There is suffering. There is pain. I've been there with empathy. And men, empathy as far as we want to go. I have come to the conclusion that if men had the babies, there would be no population explosion. We would be extinct by now. We'd all be gone. Because delivery hurts the deliverer. And delivery is many things. It is labor, it is pain, it is costly. Oh, it is costly. Especially if the delivery is complicated. Our first was an early preemie, breach transverse, emergency C-section. Man, was it costly. 
Second time around, Doc looked up at me, said, how do you do with blood? I said, I'm good with it. <laughs> he said, you sure? I said, yeah, why? He said, last week there was a guy your size in here, said he could handle it. As soon as his wife started delivering, he passed out face first, and all my nurses had to work with him, and there I was alone. <laughs> Delivery takes a lot. Sacrifice. And this is so amazing to me, because John 3 and John 19, <clears throat> there is blood <clears throat> and there is water. Broken water. Blood. Sometimes, having pastored now Fourth University Church, sometimes the deliverer dies in the delivery. But that only makes the life all the more priceless and precious. You see the picture yet? Jesus uses a common form of delivery, new life, to illustrate it. But do you see it? It's right here. And it's in this chapter where so many famous verses are. Aren't you glad God had them put down in the Bible? Because only Nick would have heard this. John 3.14, he says to Nick, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's crucifixion. Delivery cause. It's here with Nick at night that Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is here in the dark with Nick that Jesus says, for God sent not his son <coughs> into the world <clears throat> to destroy the world, <clears throat> but that the world through him might be saved. <clears throat> and in John 19, just before the verses I read to you, as the one who is giving blood and water, a Roman soldier with a spear. He thrust it through Jesus' side and into his heart. And in John chapter 19, it says, blood and water came out. Of course it did. It was a delivery, gift of a deliverer, sacraments of a kingdom, not of this world. And in John chapter 19, you'll find Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea, no longer hidden disciples, but boldly proclaiming their love for Jesus. And I've thought to myself, as they had asked for Jesus' body from Pilate, I see Nick helping others lower Jesus' body from the cross. Do you see it? Finally, here in the picture. I mean, it is the heart of Nick's as well. Jesus' heart has stopped, but Nick's heart has started to beat differently, beating stronger. I wondered as he looked up at the cross with the blood of Jesus on his fancy clothes, if he thought about that night alone with Jesus. And the Son of Man will be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. 
And there he is, blood and water on his clothes. And what does it mean? It means you don't call him rabbi or teacher come from God. You call him my Lord, my God. It means that you don't just show him respect. You show him reverence and awe. And that you stop just giving him compliments, but you finally give him what he really wants, your heart. Well, do you see it yet? John chapter 3. It's not a flat picture of Jesus in a well-dressed Pharisee. You see it? It's a picture of God's heart. And the word love is written across it. And you see him talking to John about his cross. And can you see the crown of thorns on his head and his arms reaching out in John chapter 19? I want you to look closer where the spear of the soldier is pointing to. I mean, do you see where the Roman spear is pointing? Do you see it yet? As he jabs it through the side and into the heart of Jesus. So there was a prophecy that no bones of Messiah would be broken. They go to the soldiers, go to the guys beside him because they've got to get him down from the cross before Sabbath. Want to keep the Sabbath, don't mind killing these guys. Break their legs. I don't think the Roman soldiers had studied their prophecy and said, hold it, we can't break Jesus' legs. There's another prophecy that says his side will be pierced. Let's do it that way. And the Roman soldier jabbed the spear up through his side into his heart to make sure he is dead. And the Apostle John writes that when he did it, blood and water flowed. Of course it did. The ultimate delivery. Jesus giving birth to every child that will be saved. And the beauty is that that Roman spear couldn't erase the word love that was etched so deep into the heart of God. Not even a Roman spear could erase it. Well, Jesus, um, thank you for your relentless pursuit of us. I thank you that you can save anyone, thief on a cross or a Sanhedrin scribe, everybody in between. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you haven't called us to attendance. You've called us to discipleship. I pray that someone here will accept that call today and you will work through their life to touch this world. In Jesus' name, amen.